order questions to the Prime Minister. Alan Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the House will be aware, today is the fifth anniversary of the 7th of July terrorist attacks on central London. I'm sure everyone in this House, people in our country, will remember where they were and what they were doing when that dreadful news came through. Our hearts should go out to the families and friends of those who died. They will never be forgotten, and our thoughts are also with those who were injured physically and mentally by the dreadful events of that day. It was a dreadful day, but it is also a day that will remain, I believe, a symbol of the enduring bravery of the British people. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Alan Michael. Uh, Mr Speaker, can I ask the Prime Minister if he will join me in congratulating the people of Somaliland on the successful, peaceful and transparent election of a new president? As the uh, Somaliland Republic has now been a beacon of democracy in Africa for nearly 20 years, will the Prime Minister ensure that the UK's promise that a new government with democratic credentials would receive increased uh, engagement from the UK? Well, I think the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right to raise this issue. It's an important issue and an area of the world of enormous importance for our own security. I join him in welcoming the peaceful and credible elections in Somaliland. These are an example of genuine democracy in an area of the world not noted for it, and the UK provided funding for election supervision. We are keen to engage with the new government, and I believe the key, and I'm sure the whole House would agree, is to prevent terrorist groups establishing their foothold in Somaliland uh, that they have in, in Somalia. This is vital, and yes, the government will continue to engage. James Gray. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will not be surprised to hear that I intend to keep campaigning to keep the Hercules fleet RAF Lynham in my own constituency uh, as long as I possibly can. But if, at the end of the day, it does indeed move to Bryce Norton in his constituency and takes with it <laughs> takes with the jobs and economic prosperity that goes with it, will he at least use his every good office to make sure that we find some way of bringing jobs and economic prosperity back into the vacated site at Lynham? My, my honourable friend has fought a long and noble uh, campaign uh, over, over this issue and has made very strong arguments. I, I, I know how strong the arguments are because every time I get into a Hercules, whether in Afghanistan or elsewhere, the pilots always immediately complain about having to move from his constituency to my constituency. He makes a very good point about economic development and we'll make sure that, if, if this goes ahead, that we do see good, strong economic development in his constituency. Harriet Harman. Mr. Mr Speaker, can I support what the Prime Minister has said on the fifth anniversary of the terrible 7-7 bombings? Today we remember those who were killed and injured and their families and friends. We pay tribute to the emergency services who responded with such care and such courage, and we stand with the government in our determination to defeat those who would bring terror to our streets. Mr Speaker, there's been a lot of progress on tackling domestic violence, but still every year hundreds of thousands of women are victims. Many of the perpetrators are sent to prison, rightly in my view. Now the Justice Secretary has embarked on a sentencing review and has suggested that short sentences don't work. But it's often not rehabilitation that's needed in domestic violence cases, but a very clear message to the perpetrator that it mustn't be repeated and a very clear message to the victim that the justice system takes this seriously. And that's what a short sentence can do. 
Can the Prime Minister confirm that the sentencing review will not stop magistrates giving short prison sentences for domestic violence? Well, I think the Honourable Lady, first of all, can I thank her for what she says about the anniversary and the tribute she rightly paid to the emergency services who played an unbelievably brilliant role on that day and the many people who, who helped them. I think she's absolutely right to raise the issue of domestic violence. For too many years, this was an issue that police forces and prosecutors didn't deal with properly. And to be fair to the last uh, government, good progress has been made over the last decade uh, with this issue. I, I do agree that there are occasions when short sentences are required, and indeed uh, the Lord Chancellor takes uh, exactly the same view. He said in the speech, very important to uh, very important to read the speech and not just the headline. He said, uh, in my opinion, abolishing all sorts sentences altogether would be a step too far. We need penalties for the antisocial recidivist, and we do need to make sure that magistrates have that power. But the review is important to try and make sure that we get this right. Well, I thank the Prime Minister for, for that reassurance. It is reassuring that the Lib Dem promise that they made um, in the election is not to, going to be carried forward. And can I congratulate him? Uh, can I, can, I mean, I notice the, the, the Justice Secretary is not looking very cheerful. Perhaps he should go down to Ronnie Scott's to cheer himself up. <laughs> can, I, can, can I congratulate the Prime Minister for, instead of listening to his new partner, listening to his mother? Because in the election, he told us that his mother was a magistrate and that she told him magistrates need the powers uh, of short sentences. Quite often, it is the right thing for somebody not to listen to their new partner, but to listen to their mother. So I'm glad he's done this on that occasion. Can I turn to something else mentioned in the election campaign? In the election campaign, he said any minister who came to him with cuts to frontline services uh, he said, and I quote, will be sent straight back to their department to go away and think again. Does that apply to the Home Secretary? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, can I say, there are, in my experience, there's very few people more cheerful than the Lord Chancellor. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. he's, he's celebrating his 40th anniversary in this house. He likes oh. to... Uh, yeah. He likes to point out that he, he was elected to this house before the Chancellor of the Exchequer was actually born. Um, and uh, he brings enormous experience and good humour to all our councils. I'm delighted, um, I'm delighted the right honourable lady has brought up the issue of, of my mother, um, who, who served on the Newbury bench uh, for, for many, many years. I have to say, one of the biggest challenges she had, uh, and the most often, as well as, as, well as me, and one of the... And one of the reasons she needed to hand out so many short sentences was mostly to badly behave CND protesters outside Greenham Common. Right. Um, so, she was... I don't know whether she was there. Anyway, if... Uh, if, if the... If the Right Honourable Lady wants to have more episodes of Listen with Mother, I'm very happy uh, at any time she would like. In terms of the Home Office, of course we have to make savings. We have to make savings across government. It's not going to be easy, but absolutely we must make sure that we do everything we can to protect the front line. But I simply don't believe, when you look at the Home Office budget, there aren't examples of waste and inefficiency and things that we can do better. And I would say to the Honourable Lady this. She went into the election 
calling for 20% cuts in every department. That was her policy, a policy of 5% cuts each year. Ours is 6% cuts each year. So these are Labour cuts as well. Well, we went into the election very clear to collect, to, to protect pre, uh, police numbers. We, I'm asking him a straightforward question, which he has so far failed to answer. Because at Prime Minister's questions, he was asked by my honourable friend, the member for Westminster North, this very simple, straightforward question. Will there be fewer police officers at the end of this Parliament compared to now? That's what she asked him. He skirted round her question and didn't answer it. Will he answer it now? Yes. Of course they're going to be difficult decisions, but, but let me... Let me a, a, very, a very simple question was put to the Shadow Home Secretary before the last election. The question... Just wait for it, wait for it. Andrew Neil. Andrew Neil. Can you guarantee, if you form the next government, that police numbers won't fall? Alan Johnson, can you confirm that? Alan Johnson, no. But, but what he did, yeah, what he did go on to say, I think that's a selective quoting, what he did go on to say, yeah, what... What he did go on to say is that we would guarantee the funding which would ensure the police numbers and the numbers of police community support officers. We were absolutely clear about this. Now, his Lib Dem uh, partners said that they would have 3,000 more police on the beat. He said he would protect frontline services. Are either of those promises going to be kept? People who are concerned about crime want to know. Yeah. There's nothing selective about the word no. That is what the Home Secretary, Shadow Home Secretary was asked when he was asked if he could guarantee there wouldn't be cuts in police numbers. Let's remember why we're here. We've got a £155 billion budget deficit. The Labour Party went into the last election promising 50% cuts in capital spending and 20% cuts in department spending. Yeah. We are clearing up the mess that they made. Yeah. When, I, when I sat at the G20 table last weekend and you look round the table and think, who's got the biggest budget deficit? Is it Brazil? No. Is it Spain? No. Is it Argentina? No. They left us in a situation where we get lectured by Argentina on the state of our budget deficit. Harriet yeah. Harman. Um, well, um, if, he'd have read, if he'd have read the OBR report, he'd have seen that their forecast for government borrowing was lower than the forecast that we made before the election. And probably if he'd have read the OBR report, he wouldn't have found that the chair has, uh, has resigned straight away after being appointed. But isn't it clear that this, this is the government's crime policy? He's threatening to take away police officers that people want on the beat. He's cutting down the right of local residents for CCTV. He's making it harder for the police to use DNA evidence. Those are his policies. Let me ask him a very straightforward question. Does he think those policies are more likely to make crime go down or go up? The point is that under the last government, violent crime and gun crime went through the roof. The Honourable Lady, the Honourable, they almost doubled. Yeah, no, the shadow, the shadow Foreign Secretary is shouting and waving his head. Gun crime and violent crime almost doubled under the last government. Yes, yes. I think, I think it's time. I think it's time for honourable members. I think it's time for 
there's going to be a rush of new Labour memoirs coming up, and I think it's time for honourable members. Perhaps they should start with the report of the spin doctor who worked for the last Prime Minister. Who... Uh, order, no, we won't bother with that, I say to the Prime Minister. Order. I'm very clear what is in order and what isn't, and that's the end of the matter. Harriet Harman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before the election, from the Conservatives, it was all about tougher policies and more police. Now all that seems to have sailed off with those prison ships he was promising to buy. Now, we were very clear. We said, when we first came into government, we would bring crime down, and we did. Promise that under his government he will keep crime coming down. Will he make that promise? If he won't make that promise, it's only because he knows, as we all know, his policies will put crime up. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, I was only trying to boost sales, I think, uh, but there we are. I can promise the Honourable Lady one thing. Let me promise the Honourable Lady one thing. I won't be wandering around my constituency in a stab proof vest. Yeah. That's, what it, that's what it came to under the last government. Gun crime went up, violent crime went up, reoffending of prisoners went up, £45,000 for the cost of every prison place, more than 10% of them shouldn't have been there because they're foreigners, half of them are on drugs, and 40% of them commit a crime on the way out of prison. That is the record that we've inherited, and that's what we'll be clearing up. John Barron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The latest report from the US Department of Defence to Congress highlighted the speed and decisiveness of insurgent propaganda in Afghanistan as a key threat to Allied forces. What can the coalition do to counter this threat, given that the longer it goes on, the harder our task becomes? Well, the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point, which is we're not just fighting a a war on the ground. There is also a propaganda war as well. And we have to demonstrate the progress that we're making in terms of training up Afghan army, Afghan police, and spreading security and governance uh, across Afghanistan, particularly in our case, southern Afghanistan. And what I can tell him is that we will be publishing a monthly update and having quarterly statements in this House so we keep, actually make sure that we keep the British public uh, fully informed and on side as we take difficult decisions in this conflict. Jim McGovern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, in the run-up to the general election, the Conservative Party claimed to be the party that would support small businesses. And yet, in the first, their, Get on with it, yes. but in their first budget, they cancelled out uh, tax breaks for computer games industry, crucial to my constituency of Dundee West. Can the Prime Minister tell me, not only me, not only the House, but hundreds of people who are uh, employed in Dundee in the computer games industry and the students who studied at uh, Aberdeen University in Dundee, just why the, his Chancellor feels that this? tax break was clearly targeted. Well, we believe what matters is having low tax rates. And what we did in the budget, which the House voted on last night, was cut the small company rate of corporation tax back down to 20p from 22p and set out a path of getting corporation tax down to 24% by the end of this Parliament, which will give us one of the lowest tax rates uh, in the G8, the G20 or anywhere in Europe. That's what we benefited from. And I note that the party opposite voted against those tax reductions. James Arbuthnot. How can my right honourable friend reassure my constituents about the planning system? Under the last government, my local councils turned down 
some massive developments such as the Pystock Mega Depot, only to find them overturned, those decisions, by government ministers who've never even visited the site. How can we re-engage local people in these local decisions? Well, I, I do want to reassure my, my honourable friend, because it's right that local authorities should be taking decisions that affect people and they should be, those decisions should be taken as locally as possible. And we are scrapping the targets and the bureaucracy that we inherited from the party opposite. And I can tell him, since uh, the election, we've actually managed to scrap the new unitary councils. The comprehensive area assessments have gone. Regional spatial strategies, gone. Regional assemblies, gone. Home information packs, gone. And Labour's ports tax and Labour's bins tax, both gone. Mr Nigel Dodds. Speaker, if the respect agenda is to mean anything, then surely it should include proper consultation with the devolved governments and legislatures on fundamental constitutional and political reform, which affects all parts of the United Kingdom and indeed will affect the composition of devolved legislatures. Will the Prime Minister therefore undertake urgently to enter into discussions with the representatives of the devolved administrations and, if necessary, revise his proposals in light of what they have to say? Let's have a proper respect agenda. Of course uh, these discussions need to take place and they will take place. But I, I listened well, let, me, let me answer the question very directly, because I listened very carefully to my right honourable friend's statement on this issue. The date and the nature of the referendum is a Westminster Parliament issue. And it's right that it's brought before the Westminster Parliament first. It doesn't make sense to take it in front of other parliaments and other assemblies first. That's the way to do it. Order. Let me just say to the House that members shouldn't shout at the Prime Minister in that way. First of all, it is rude. Secondly, it delays the progress of our proceedings, and we really mustn't have it. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister reassure concerned equitable life victims in my constituency of York Outer that this Government remains committed and ensuring, to ensuring justice for policyholders? Yeah. I can certainly give my honourable friend that reassurance. We are committed to a bill in this session. This needs to happen. I mean, it was in 2008 that the parliamentary ombudsman referred to a decade of regulatory failure. And the fact that we're having to wait till now for this to be done is wrong. The last government had plenty of opportunities to grip this, but I'm afraid in quite a cynical way they were just waiting and waiting so that more of the equitable policy holders were actually dying off. It's disgraceful and we need to get it done. Michael McCann. Mr Speaker, last Saturday afternoon I joined with the, the community of Stonehouse in my constituency to welcome home Sergeant Gary Jameson. Sergeant Jameson from the Scots Guards lost both legs and his left arm in an explosion in Afghanistan. The most humbling aspect of meeting Sergeant Jameson was his distinct lack of bitterness. He fully supports the mission in Afghanistan and he strongly believes that the British forces there are making a difference. Mr Speaker, can I ask the PM, the Prime Minister, to join with me in paying tribute to a true British hero? And will he also agree with me that the most fitting way to pay tribute to those who have made the ultimate sacrifice and those who have suffered the most terrible injuries is to stay in Afghanistan until the job is done? I certainly join the Honourable Gentleman in paying the right tribute he does to Sergeant Jameson and to all those who have served and anyone who has met with some of the soldiers who have lost limbs in, in combat through IEDs or in other ways, uh, through visiting Headley Court or, or elsewhere, you cannot help be incredibly impressed 
by the spirit and the bravery and the determination of these people to go on and live as full lives as possible. Now, we've set out very clearly what we want to achieve in Afghanistan. This is the key year when we surge up the military forces, we surge up the political pressure. And my honourable friend, right honourable friend, the Defence Secretary, making a statement uh, later today about how we do that best and how we make sure our forces are properly spread across um, Helmand province so we can really have the effect that we want. But let me be clear, do I think that we should be there in a combat role or in significant numbers in five years' time? No, I don't. This is the time to get the job done and the plan we have envisages uh, making sure that we wouldn't uh, be in Afghanistan in 2015. We've been there already for four or five years in Helmand, and obviously since 2001, it's time to maximise the pressure now and then to bring our forces home as we train up the Afghan army and police force to do the job that needs to be done, which is to keep that country secure. That is our goal, that's in our national security interest, and that's what we'll do. Annette Brooke. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Park homeowners are often elderly and vulnerable, and some suffer greatly from the actions of a small minority of site owners. Threats, intimidation, neglect. Will the Prime Minister meet a small delegation and myself so that we could discuss how park homeowners may be better protected? Well, I have every sympathy with the point the Honourable Lady mentions. I suspect many members of this House, uh, myself included, have had occasion when uh, you've had problems with park home owners who've been really badly treated by, frankly, pretty disreputable park home owners. We all know of those cases where people who want to sell are pressurised and the rules are used to prevent them from getting fair value. It's not right. It's not fair. Uh, the housing minister is looking into this issue, and I think probably best if she would meet with him uh, in order to make sure we have robust rules and the right approach to make sure park home owners uh, have their rights respected. Chukka Ramuna. Mr Speaker, on Friday my constituent Zach Olumegbom was murdered in a planned attack close to his school. Um, he was just 15 and I know the thoughts of the entire house will be with his family at this very difficult time. He is the 13th teenager to lose their life needlessly in our capital city. Can the Prime Minister tell me and the rest of the house and the country what his government is doing and will be doing going forward? to stop this happening in our communities. Well, I think the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right to raise this case, which everyone will have read about. It is absolutely horrific, and it seems so planned and premeditated, and it's just appalling to think that things like this happen on our streets. What will we do about it? There are, I think, short-term measures we need and then much longer-term measures as well. In terms of the sentencing review, I'm very clear we do need to have the strongest possible signal about how carrying a knife on our streets is just unacceptable. We need to send out a signal that it's not a defensive measure, it's not a cool thing to do, it's not what gangs, it should not happen and the punishment will be tough. That is the short-term measure, in my view, that we need. The longer-term measure is we've got to do more to strengthen communities, to strengthen families, to give people an alternative to the gangs that they're otherwise drawn towards. Too many young people join a gang because they don't have uh, other networks and uh, help and respect and hope in their lives. That's a long-term agenda. It's an agenda I know is shared on both sides of the House, and we must pursue it. James Clappers. Can my right honourable friend give an assurance that he will resist further moves towards economic governance of the United Kingdom by the European Union and that we will not see the vetting of our budget plans by the European Commission before those plans are presented to this House? Yeah. Yeah. 
My, my honourable friend is entirely right. The UK budget should be shown to the UK Parliament, the Westminster Parliament, before it's shown to anyone else. And that is always going to be the case under this government. I am pleased, I'm pleased to report that subsequent to its publication, a number of international bodies like the OECD and the EU and the G8 and the G20 have all recognised it was an extremely good budget that's going to help put this country back on track. Yeah. Mr William Bain. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister give the House a clear pledge on child poverty today? Will there be fewer children in this country living in relative poverty by the end of this Parliament? Yes or no? We are absolutely committed to meeting the child poverty targets. And let me just remind him. Let me just remind him that this budget, in spite of all its difficulties, does not add a single family to child poverty. Where, in contrast, in contrast to the last government that put up child poverty in 100, by 100,000, they shake their heads, check the figures, and come back and have a look. Mr. Robert Buckland. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend give an assurance that all new academies that will be set up? will be obliged to accept children with special educational needs. I can absolutely give my honourable friend that assurance. Academies will be required to ensure that pupils with special educational needs are admitted on the same basis as other schools. Children with special educational needs have special needs. A compassionate and tolerant and decent country will make sure they get the the help and the support and the education and also the love that they need. Angela Smith. The Chief Executive of Sheffield Forge Masters, Dr Graham Honeyman, was last year presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Institute of Directors, and yet various members of this government front bench have made personal, unwarranted attacks on him in the media. Will the Prime Minister apologise now for these unjustified attacks made on a highly regarded businessman? I'm sorry to disagree with the Honourable Lady, but no one has made an attack. This is an excellent company. It's an excellent company. It's an excellent business. The question is just whether is it an appropriate use of taxpayers' money to give money to a business that could actually raise that money by diluting its shareholding. The party opposite simply doesn't understand. They go round handing out money before the election without asking, is it value for money? No wonder we're in such a complete mess. Roger Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, The UK has a splendid reputation for the quality of its agricultural science and research, and these skills will be needed to face up to the challenges of climate change and an increasing world population. Will the Prime Minister confirm that that government and uh, EU policy decisions in these matters will be taken on the basis of sound science and proportionate re- regulation. Well, I know that the Honourable Member is a, is a member of the all-party group on, on science and technology in agriculture. These are difficult issues. My view is, yes, we should be guided by the science, but we should also be guided by what consumers want. And it is vital we have accurate labelling. I think that will really be the key uh, to making sure we make progress with this issue in a way that keeps the public uh, on side and allows them to understand what it is they're buying and consuming. David Anderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The whole House will be aware and concerned by the ongoing incident in the North East. The killing of Chris Brown and the wounding of Samantha Stobart took place in my town of Berkeley, and our thoughts and prayers should go out to their families and friends, and also to PC David Rathband and his folk. Can the PM update the House on where we are with this issue, and can he assure us that all lessons will be learned from this incident, and can we especially look again at getting guns off our streets? 
The Honourable Gentleman is right to, to raise this case, and the whole country is thinking of uh, those that have lost their lives and those that have been injured. It is a horrific case. I don't think it's right now to start talking about the processes of learning any lessons. Where this is an ongoing case. Uh, the Home Secretary has been briefed by the Chief Constable, and I know the whole House and the whole country will be wishing the, the, the police well in their search for this individual so that we can put a stop uh, to the horrendous spree that's taken place. Hodgson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, voting by non-resident second homeowners in regions such as Cornwall is becoming a contentious issue. Councils are not checking whether uh, people are voting in two locations in the same election, and local residents are getting worried that sometimes election results might be skewed. Would the Prime Minister meet with me or uh, invite one of his ministerial colleagues to do so to discuss this issue? Well, I'm very happy that one of my colleagues should have a meeting with him. It is important we make sure electoral registers are, are accurate. It's also important to recognise it is an offence to vote at a general election in two different places. I have to say, though, there are problems, I think, in saying uh, whether or not second homeowners can vote. I think a number of honourable members might take rather a dim view because some of them might not be able to vote in their own constituencies, but happy for him to have a meeting uh, with the Minister responsible for electoral uh, registration. Question 10, Roshnara Ali. Number 10, Mr. Number, number, number 10, Mr. Speaker. Can I first of all welcome the Honourable Lady to the House? Uh, good quality social housing is vital, especially in areas such as the Honourable Member's constituency, and it's completely unacceptable today that 58% of the housing in her constituency is not of a decent standard. We do have a huge backlog of, of work to be carried out. We've ploughed £170 million back into social housing schemes this financial year, which the last Government promised but didn't fund. Uh, clearly the Decent Homes programme will have to be looked at in the spending review, but I understand the force of argument in her constituency particularly. Thank you, Prime Minister. Is the Prime Minister aware that some 7,000 council homes still need to be brought up to the Decent Homes standards in Tower Hamlets? The last Government committed £222 million towards addressing this problem. Will his Government honour that commitment to my constituents? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, we've actually filled in some of the black hole left by the last Government because a promise of extra spending was made, but the money wasn't found. And while we made the £6 billion of cuts to start sorting out the finances, we used some of the same money to fill in the black hole so that those social housing schemes could go ahead. Clearly the Decent Homes programme is important. We have to make sure it's value for money, but her constituency has very great needs with so many substandard houses. Gloria De Piero. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My nine-year-old constituent, Paisley Ward, says she and her brother learnt to swim because it was free. Paisley is worried her little sister won't be able to learn because this government wants to charge. In her letter, Paisley says, please, please stop this madness. Will the Prime Minister listen to Paisley and have a rethink? Well, well, first of all, can I um, congratulate the Honourable Lady? And many people in this country uh, think that it's a good time to leave politics and go into the media. And can I at least congratulate someone who left the, uh, the warmth of the GMTV sofa in order to come onto a uh, green bench here? Um, Thank you. Uh, she raises an important case. I have to say to her that not all Labour councils ab were able to deliver the free swimming pledge, and this is one of the things, like many other things, I'm afraid it's not always going to be possible to guarantee in the incredibly straitened times that we're living in when we have a £155 billion budget deficit to deal with. Order statement, Secretary Liam Fox.